0: Another uh, mini series. We're gonna take a break from Revelation. I'll show why in just a minute, and just focus on family life. What is the church about? What what are our families about? How do we live that out as kind of scripture-focused family? And um, and so we could kind of explore that together. Here's kind of why. So if we go to, um, is this the screen's black? Did I do something? blank out there. There we go. Okay, we go to the next slide. I'm having trouble controlling it. Is that me? No. You're gonna have to stay with me, Matt, I guess. Is that okay? Um, In Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, and we've, we looked at this last couple weeks, right? Uh, Especially with... uh Pastor Luke, last week in Revelation 13, it talks about, you know, the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. And Luke Luke brought out how he's deceiving the world not only through himself, but through uh, the the beast, in a sense, the Antichrist, who, uh, and as 1 John says, many Antichrists have come, and then he talks about the false prophet, many false prophets have come, the second beast. And that, that, yes, there's a kind of a, a final form, but even right now in the world, the, 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 the devil is trying to deceive us. He's deceiving us through, as we looked in Revelation, through our greed. The, the fact that we want to consume things and be just kind of people that own a bunch of stuff and that we can have all these things and we can replace God with stuff. In other words, the stuff that he made, <laughs> we think that's better than him. And so we, we, the world is, and Satan is using that to deceive us. Uh, also, it looked at the fact that, Revelation 13, that Satan is using the governments to deceive us, right? That we can replace our hope in God providing for us, God uh, protecting us with the human government, that government would come in and, and, the, and the, a final kingdom would come, or some kind of government would come in and take care of our problems. And obviously, you also see that, that sense of, just get some one person, some great person, some great man who could be that person to save us, to be the Savior. And, and we talk about Savior complexes, right? Or kind of the Messiah complex kind of idea. But it's out there. And, we, and sometimes we are deceived into buying into that and not really looking to Christ. And obviously we also have false religion with all its false wonders and false, false teachings that, that grow up and crop up and, and deceive us, not into trusting Christ and following Him, but Into following these false ideas about God or about ourselves, and so in the midst of this deception, how do we how how do we stay undeceived, if you will? How do we keep on the right path? And Colossians is written for, in a lot of ways, for that exact reason. He's trying to make sure that they're not deceived about the truth, that they can walk in the truth, and that's where we we're going to start kind of this mini-series, if we will, in Colossians chapter 2. Next slide there, Matt. Um, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and build up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, See to it that no one takes you captive by a philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental principles or spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And so here he's saying, hey, my goal is for that you would walk in Christ, and he says "My also my goal is that you don't get taken captive by human philosophy and empty deceit Okay, according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world. Now, this this word that's translated elemental elemental spirits in the ESV is this. uh, It's just kind of this base. It's kind of basic principles or basic ideas. And so you're like, how do you get to that? That for Paul, he always uses it to refer to the law overall. That 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 base base law thing that comes in. But notice also that he he says that we need to walk in Christ, rooted in buildup, and then he says abounding in thanksgiving. And thanksgiving is one of the fundamental ways, actually, that we fight deceit in our hearts, in our lives, okay? If you think of, if you go on, to, uh, go uh, keep going forward to... This whole section is kind of bounded by this. It starts here in Colossians 2. It ends in Colossians 4, verse 2, where it says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And so he's saying thanksgiving is something that is kind of over all of this, even as he's saying, I don't want you to be taken captive. He's saying the best way to walk in Christ and not be taken captive is to to abound in thanksgiving. So that whether it's through prayer or through our lives, you, you, you can see that uh, repeated multiple times even throughout the book of being thankful as something Christians need to do. It echoes Romans chapter 1, right? You remember Romans chapter 1 where it says, For the wrath of God has, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So here's another, it's not just that Satan deceives us, but we, in a sense, deceives ourselves. We suppress the truth. As, as, hu- as a humankind, so to speak, human beings, we suppress the truth. Well, how do we do that? He says, For what can we known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they were without excuse. He's saying, look, God, God made the world. It's evident if you, not, it's, not, it's not like just, okay, on every, every piece that God made, it's like God wrote, this is mine on it, you know what I mean? <laughs> but, but as you look at the world, as you put it together, the implications are clear that, that he's saying here that something greater than the universe created the universe and that, that, that this has to be divine. It has to have divine power and purpose These are clearly perceived if you look and you don't suppress the truth. Then he goes on to say, well, how how do they suppress the truth? For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. How did they, in a sense, deceive themselves, suppress the truth? By not honoring God and giving him thanks. Thanksgiving... It's, it's not just, we're not just talking about the Thanksgiving you know, that we do around Thanksgiving time. Like, oh yeah, we remember all the good things we have. And it's, it's a more fundamental and kind of deep-seated part of the soul, so to speak, of I'm thankful. I, I realize that what I have received I did not deserve. That what I, what I have is, is greater than, than what I have produced for myself. And and we give thanks. Thanksgiving is, is a fundamental part here of both not suppressing the truth, but also not getting deceived by Satan. And, and so as we go back to the Colossians chapter 2, how, how, then, do, how does, then does Paul walk this out? And I just kind of want to walk this out together because he's, he's going to point out here, so I'll tell you where I'm headed, He's going to point out that the law, that elementary principles of the world kind of idea, uh, is, is part of this, it can be used, it's good, 1 Timothy 1 says it's good if, you, if, you, if it's used lawfully, but it's often used to deceive. And Satan, we're going to see, uses the law to deceive us. And so we don't need not be, for, so, so point number one is don't be deceived or, and taken captive. Because, ultimately, those basic principles of the world can be deceptive. And and so I want you to think, say, well, what are you you saying with the law? Well, I'm saying in some ways it's just a basic approach to life that says the rules are what's important. Or not important, if you're against them. And and I ran across a secular comedian who was kind of putting it this way so secular committing she she wasn't a believer but she's she's just talking about comparing time periods okay and she said in my grandparents day all they had to do was to work or take care of the kids and the whole time you could drink or smoke or gamble you know She, she says these days you it's it's totally different she said these days you have to work take care of the kids don't drink, don't smoke, drink heaps of water, don't overeat, starve a bit but not too much, do yoga, pay the mortgage, have an investment property, contribute to social security but never retire, go on fancy holidays, cook like a chef, give to charity, be a good neighbor, be a good listener, be a people person, be a lifelong learner. Be spiritual, set an example, leave a legacy, read more, sleep more, sleep less, sleep better. Volunteer, visit old people. Don't visit old people, wash your hands, keep your distance, wear a mask. Reduce your carbon footprint, count your steps, and check your privilege. Privilege this is the world in which we live in where they're saying these are all the rules i mean it's this isn't we're not just talking about christianity here with its rules they're saying this is a fundamental way people approach life which is to say you got to follow the rules right and if you follow the rules then you're successful then you're accepted then you're loved but if you don't then you're not and this is something even Christians struggle with and that's why Paul is writing to them here because they're wrestling just like the, the wrestling with their heritage from the Jewish Jewish background with the the people who said you know you need to keep the law in order to be a Christian and that's influenced here it's it's more a broad influence rather than a specific influence in a lot of ways but he says again in 1 Timothy 1 he says now we know the law is good if one uses it lawfully, 1 Timothy 1.8. Next slide there, Matt. And, and the point is, is he's saying to, God wants us to use the law to help us to see that we need him. That's the, the primary purpose of the law is to help us to see that we need a good relationship with him and that we cannot do it on our own. Colossians chapter 2, a little bit later on, which we won't get to fully in this message, says this, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, okay, this basic idea that you need to keep the rules, if you died with Christ to that, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are, they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is a key idea right here. He's saying that that keeping religion or following the rules really has no value in actually stopping the evil that is in your heart. It's like caging a lion. The lion is still a lion. It ever, if it ever gets out, it will eat people. <laughs> and if you approach Christianity like, okay, well, you know, maybe you grew up and you well, you were like Taz, and you're like, I, I, just, I, I hate God, I hate following the rules, I don't want to do that, and so, so I'm just going to live my life. And then you realize, well, okay, no, it's actually a good idea to follow the rules, and I'll try to be a good person, and I'll try to do this, and I'll try to do that. Christianity, you're not, you're not God's child if all you're trying to do is trying to please him. That's not what makes you a Christian. You have make that transition from I don't want to follow the rules to I want to follow the rules. That's not being a Christian. Being a Christian is really, I can't follow the rules on my own. I need Christ. And that's what Paul is referring to here. Why do we think that the rules will keep us from being deceived we think well, well that's sometimes how we approach this well if i just follow the rules then then i won't get lied to i won't i won't get deceived but the problem is and we know this about ourselves and we know this about other people people quote the rules to us and we just say oh you're just using that one against me right we we know people use the rules to to say whatever they want to say so why don't we suspect ourselves for the same reason we don't think the rules will not keep evil at bay They will not keep us walking in the light, ultimately. What keeps us in the light, Paul is saying here, is walking with Christ. And he he does this in two ways, to help to focus us into thankfulness, to say, this is why you should be thankful, this is why you can stay thankful, and this is what will help you from being deceived, even as you seek to do what God wants you to do. Because I'm not saying that we shouldn't, as Christians, seek to do the right thing. just saying we do it from a different position. And our position, first of all, is that our destiny is to rule with Christ because he's in charge. This is fundamentally one of the reasons, one of the things that Paul wants us to be thankful for. Notice what he says in Colossians 2, verse 9. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. He's saying, in Christ, God, is, Jesus, the human being, is also fully God. Even though he has a body, he's also fully God. And at the same time, you, as believers, have been filled in him. This Again, that's a key theme throughout scripture of that filling. That is, we have purpose. We have meaning. And we have meaning, not because we keep the rules, but because we're in Christ, because he rules. The, the rules, and in other words, what he's saying is the rules aren't over us anymore, and he's going to get into that why that, that is later. We, in a sense, in Christ are over the rules. Not, again, that we don't follow the rules because we want to please God. It's just that they don't rule us because Christ rules everything, and we are in him. So our destiny is to rule with Christ. Just You realize, how many times do you go through your week, your day, and the message you hear is, you're not in charge. And you're not in charge. You're not in control. All of those things are true in one sense. But in another sense, you're also in Christ your his purpose for your life is is perfect he's perfectly in control of everything your destiny is laid out you it's not like well if i don't do x y and z then Then God can't fulfill his purpose in my life. Or I'm gonna fall apart. Or I'm gonna No, no. Christ is in charge of your life. Your destiny is to rule with Him. He you are filled in Him. Even all of the struggles you face and all the difficulties you face are all part of His plan for you to to mature you into uh, the, 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 the jewel that He is planning for you to be. Are you thankful for that? You say, well, I've got struggles, I've got difficulties, I, you know, I can't pay my bills all the time, I, I have, uh, my kids are messing up, I've got all these issues, yes, those, those are all part of life too, I get that. You say, well, I, I struggle with sin, I know I do the wrong things, I know I mess up, yes. But you have a Savior who rules it all. The question is, you, are you thankful for that? Notice Colossians chapter 1, Kind of, he's already laid this out in explicit detail in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, where he says, He, that is Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He is preeminent, and we are in him. You say, well, how are we in him? And this is where he takes that thankfulness of, we should be thankful that he's placed us into his plan for ruling and reigning, that we're part of that. And he takes it to another level. But before we do that, just, just for a second... Are you thankful? Are you thankful that Christ makes you able to rule and reign with Him? You're not just here to live and then die, one of, you know, seven billion, eight billion people. You live, you're not that important, you die. Your dreams are shattered by either old age or ill health or missed opportunities or horrible sin, and all of a sudden, all your dreams are gone. You are in Christ. Your life is His. Do, do you remind your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that they are joint heirs with Christ? You know, the, with, with my family, we, there's, there's downsides to having a large family, right? With I've got seven kids. and But there's also plenty of upsides, okay? One of the upsides, or a couple of the upsides, are that basically you always have somebody to play with. You know what I mean? Like, there's always somebody around who's not doing something. Is like, hey, well, let's do something. Right? That's one of the benefits. Right? Uh, another benefit is that, that you're you're viewed as unique. Like, sometimes if you only have one or two people in your family, and two kids in your family, they're like, oh, okay, well, you're just you know, knock off the old block. You know, you know, the, the more kids you have, the more you're like, nope, that's a pretty unique kid. That's a lot different from all the other ones, and uh, they're they're all pretty different. You know what I mean? And you're viewed a certain way, and and in Christ, you have, you're part of this family, right? Where you're, you're, you're made to rule and reign with him, and he's made you in such a way that, that you're a unique part of what he has done, and you're put in this family where no matter what is going on, you have the presence of Christ and Christ's family with you. Are you thankful for that? This is part of who you are in Christ. And they say, well, how, how is this possible? And this is where he says, this is the kind of fundamental thing that he gets to in regards to not letting the law deceive us is that our hearts are alive to obeying him because we are united to his death and resurrection. This is one thing we can be thankful for because we all struggle with sin. We all struggle with that desire to do what we please and realize that that, that, that pleasure actually leads us to death. That the things I want to do for me often mess me up. And sometimes I'm not willing to let that go. I've got, well, I'll just keep trying. I'll keep trying to figure it out. But in Colossians chapter 2 verse 11, he, he's, he lays out this reason to help us see how our hearts have been changed in Christ. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 says, In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, this is a, a Jewish concept from the Old Testament, right? If you're not familiar with it, it's, it's the, it started with God telling Abraham to, to circumcise, to cut off the foreskin of Jewish males in order to say, you're part of the covenant. You're, you're, you're heirs with Christ, but the problem was, is that, uh, as you read through the Old Testament, it becomes clear that just doing a physical act didn't actually change people's hearts. It didn't actually make them love God. Although you say, well, In fact, it became a point of pride, like, as we see in the New Testament. I'm circumcised and you're not. You're worthless. You know what I mean? That kind of idea. And, and so God, even as early as, as Deuteronomy, uh, just jumped down to... Uh, we're going to jump a few verses here, jump down with me to Deuteronomy 10, verse 16, Matt. It says, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. As early as Deuteronomy, God is telling the Israelites, look, it's, it's not just a matter of a physical cutting off of something. It has to be something that's spiritual, that's part of, of who you are, that you, you, you should no longer be stubborn, that is that, is that you're, you're set in your ways. like, this is what I want and I'm not going to give it up. I'm not going to be sensitive to what God wants for me. I'm not going to delight in those things. At the end of the Old Testament, Jeremiah says the same thing. And this echoes in some ways the parable of the seed and the sower that Jesus tells. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns circumcise yourselves to the Lord, remove the foreskins of your hearts, o, o men of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. And so here we have, again, beginning of the Old Testament, the end of the Old Testament, this idea that, you know what, you, you, something needs to change in your heart. You, you, you say with your mouth or you, or you try to follow the rules on your own, but your heart's not really changed, you know. It's like a child that that's given the rule of you know sit down in the car right you know sit down in the car buckle up you know and the kid says finally well i'm buckled up on the outside but i'm standing up on the inside you know what i mean but we can all identify with that statement right we all have times where like i just don't want to follow god i don't want to delight in doing what he wants and that's a problem god is saying that is what divides us from him you can, you can try to keep the rules as much as you want, but at some point you're going to be like, nope, don't want to do it. I want to do my own thing. And that breaks us from God. Now as we go back to Colossians chapter 2, he says there's a circumcision that in Christ we've, we've been, there's a circumcision that's made without hands. So he's saying this is a circumcision that's not done physically, And that's what we were looking for in the Old Testament, and finally here, Paul is saying it's been accomplished in Christ, he says, by putting off the body of the flesh. The little, little, putting off is kind of a a vague term. The word really is to to disrobe, to take off your clothes, to take off the body of the flesh. Well, how do we take off the body of the flesh? And says, by the circumcision of Christ. So this circumcision made without hands is actually done by Christ. Well, how did Christ do that? And here we get into verse 12, right? It says, having been buried with him in baptism, by which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful of God who raised him from the dead. So in the in a sense, what he's saying is the baptism, you know, here we're not talking about water baptism, we're talking about spiritual baptism. Again, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about this. We've been baptized by the Spirit into one body. We've been placed into Christ. And so that placing of us into Christ by the Spirit, being baptized into him, not a water baptism, but a spiritual baptism, um, it allows us to, to be, and in that sense what he's saying here is that is what the spiritual circumcision that we all need. That makes sense. So our hearts are changed. Again, not by us. But by God, by Christ ultimately, by being united with him in his death. And then it goes, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working God who raised him from the dead. So we're united both with the death of Christ and with the resurrection of Christ as we're united with Christ, placed into the body of Christ. Verse 13, And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcised of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He, in a sense, he's saying it Twice. It's so important, he says it twice here. He's saying, this is what has happened to you, and now in relation to the law, he's, he's putting it in relation to the law and saying, this is, is what, he, he, he canceled the record of debt that stood against you. And so therefore, and you can skip down to verse Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, there Matt, it's uh, after 1 Corinthians 12. He, he says there, he disarmed the rulers and authorities to, and put them to open shame by triumphing them over them in him. This, this word for disarmed is the same word in the Greek that's used for putting off the body of the flesh. It's the idea of disrobing. And I think why they picked disarming is because they were emphasizing the weapons. But in, in Roman culture and Greek culture, when you uh, defeated your enemies, you paraded them through the streets, not just disarmed, but disrobed. They're in open shame. Like, look, look, these people can no longer defeat you. And here's where he ties, if you will, the deception of Satan and the deception that we ourselves do to ourselves together. And he also ties that all to, look, be thankful for what you have in Christ. He has united himself with you in his death and resurrection on your behalf. You are now in that. This is the reality of who you are. You are now walking in Christ's death and resurrection. This is the new reality you have. These are the new clothes you have, if you will. And these clothes, this reality, this identity, is who you are, and it's nothing you've done, nothing you've earned. And that changes our hearts. It makes us delight in loving God. Why would you not delight in loving and obeying a God who gives his son for you, who dies for you, who conquers death for you? Why would you not delight in a God who, who rescues you from your enemies and puts them to open shame, nailing the record of all of your mistakes to the cross and saying it's finished? This is what keeps us from being deceived. This is what keeps our focus correct in the midst of all that's going on in the world, all the the claims the government wants to make, and everybody running for government, all the things that the advertisers are trying to sell you. Like, if your life will not be complete unless you have this widget, I am complete in Christ. I have his forgiveness. I have his love. I have, I have been united with him in his death and resurrection. Death has no power over me. I am going to rule and reign with Christ. And my heart, which was stubborn, in all its stubbornness, I can give to God and have him change it. This is what we have, and therefore, last point here, we should be abundant in thankful prayer. We should be abundant And thankful prayer. Why? Because we do not want to be deceived, but also because of what we have received in Christ. We can be thankful for ruling and not dying, that our lives are not just a blip in the existence of the universe, but in fact, we get to rule and reign with him. We can be thankful for the delighted obedience we can offer to God rather than begrudging slackness. We can be delighted, and this is where he's going to say, like, he's, he's saying, ultimately what you do with sin is you put it to death, you don't cage it up. You put it to death. We don't have time to talk fully about that this morning. We can be thankful regardless of how elections go or whether miracles happen or whether we have enough money or whether we have way too much money or whether we are comfortable or whether we are not. We can be thankful whether we are successful or whether we are not. Like all of those rules, we can be thankful for whether we are doing yoga or whether we do not. We can, we can be thankful regardless if we, if we sleep less or more or better. <laughs> we can be thankful regardless of all the other rules that people try to put on us and try to live by and say, this is how you achieve a successful life. I have received a life in Christ. It is mine. This is what we have. And therefore, we need to be thankful in our families. And just for a moment, how, how do you live? Well, if you're just a couple with no kids, or maybe you're just living by yourself, or maybe you're living with your parents, is your family life one that's thankful? You're talking about what you're thankful for. You're thankful for what you've received. And that, that, that thankfulness just permeates the way you relate to one another. And obviously, the, the biggest things we need to be thankful for are who we are in Christ, how we're going to rule and reign with him, the, 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 the circumcision of our hearts, that we're united with him in baptism and death and resurrection. But there's so many things to be thankful for. Is, is this the way your family operates? Do you, do you operate full of thankfulness? Do we as a church family operate full of thankfulness? So we talk about the goodness of God in the land of the living as, as Joe put it? Do we talk about uh, the way that we, that w- what we have received in Christ together? We must be thankful daily, weekly, yearly. It's, it's just a part of who we are. That's what Paul is saying here. He says, this is abound in thanksgiving. Walk in Christ, abounding with thanksgiving. And he ends the book by saying, you know, Be abounding in prayer and with thanksgiving, right? Like this is this is just should be a part of our lives. So just for a second, think back over the last week. Maybe you had some difficulties. Maybe you had some trials. That's part of life. What? How can you be thankful for them? Not that you're want you're thankful for evil happening, but how can you be thankful in the midst of them? Can you be thankful? Uh, for the good things that you received, can you, can you think and realize in some ways, you know, maybe I've got a house and I've got a car, but none of that matters because I have, ultimately, I'm going to rule and reign with Christ, and my life is not my own. I was, I was uh, re-watching Band of Brothers, uh, uh, parts of it um, recently, and one of the guys was talking to the other, and he says, oh, there there is Normandy, D-Day, I think it was around D-Day, and um, and and one was saying, "Oh, like you, you're you still think you can make it out of here?" And the guy was like, "Well, why?" He's like, "Like it works a whole lot better if you realize that you're dead already in a sense." You know what? To the world, we're, we're dead already. You know what? You can get. A million dollars and you can retire well and you know what you're still going to die to the world that's all there is you might leave a legacy but eventually it'll get eaten up you you might leave some kids but eventually they're going to die too like like death is all there is but in Christ in Christ your life matters You might be, dead in a sense, dead now, but you know what? (laughs) This is not all there is. We, our lives are now Christ's. And obviously Paul puts it in this way in Galatians chapter 2, right? I have been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. Yet, not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. I don't live for myself. You know Why? Because I have someone who died for me and rose again and has given me a way better life than I could ever make on my own. Is that you? Are you thankful for that? Maybe you're retired and you're thinking, well, but I've got a, I've got a few years left. No, you have eternity left. Maybe you're just starting off and you're like, I've got to build my life and I've got to do. Yes, you've got some things you've got to do, but still, still, No matter what happens, this life is not your own. You were bought with a price. And so we live united with Christ, thankful for what he's done. Is that a part of how you live? Is it a part of how you think? Is it a part of how you worship? Is it a part of how you speak? May it be true of us, may it be true in our families, may it be true in this church family that we echo our thankfulness of what God has done over and over and over again so that we will not be deceived along with the world Heavenly Father I thank you for your word I thank you for Paul's concern for the Colossians and ultimately for us that we would not be deceived because Satan is powerful his lies are powerfully deceitful And we can get caught up in thinking that I've got to make a life for myself and I've got to follow the rules and I've got to do all these things and I can just be successful, then I can say I'm okay. And Christ died for us. He gave his life for us. We are united with him. Our hearts have been changed so that we delight in doing what our Savior calls us to do. Lord, may we live thankful of that delight, thankful of that privilege of destiny with you. And may we echo that thankfulness to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors, to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because we have received so much. We thank you in your son's name. Amen.